from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And if you are in the brand or retail side of the cannabis industry, one of the places to be this month is the MJ Unpacked event in New York City. It runs from May 18th to May 20th. And what makes it really unique is that while other cannabis shows, including MJ BizCon are heavily populated by the supply side of the business. MJ Impact is focused almost exclusively on the CPG consumer packaged goods side of the business. I attended their first event in Vegas last year and found it immensely interesting and informational and useful. And my guests today are George and Kim Jage, who are co-founders of MJ Unpacked. And George has nearly three decades of experience as an event producer and a media executive. He first got into the cannabis industry in 2014 as president of MJ Biz Daily and was the lead architect of the MJ Biz Con event from 2014 to 2017. His wife, Kim, is a brand developer and a marketing executive. She was a partner and vice president of sales and marketing at World T Media. She was also director of sales and marketing at FW Media. They're both here to talk to me about what to expect in MJ Unpacked Manhattan, who should attend, why this event is different than all the other cannabis events across the country, and how they have managed to stay together, working together and being married at the same time. We touched on a lot of great issues. So without further ado, I bring you Kim and George Jage. Kim and George Jage, welcome to the Great Entrepreneur Podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. So apparently this is your first dual interview together. It's our first dual interview together and it's my first podcast. Wow. There's a lot of firsts here. A lot of firsts. Let's unpack MJ Unpack. Explain sort of the elevator pitch of what the event is. So, well, thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Um, so, you know, we've been in the conference space for quite a few years. Um, I've been in, in doing events for about 30 years, Kim about 15. Back in 2014, I took over as the president of MJ BizCon and um, had a couple other uh, stints in the cannabis industry, but I love the space. And one of the things that I always, you know, kind of kept me up at night when I was running MJ BizCon is that you know, at that time, the industry needed to find solutions for setting up a retail store or setting up an operation. Um, they needed machines, they needed technology, they needed software, et cetera. But we always, you know, I always knew that this is a cannabis is a CPG industry, a consumer packaged goods industry. And if you really look at the kind of the ecosystem of all the consumer packaged goods industries in the United States, the biggest and most important trade show is focused around brands and retailers. And the only reason that we haven't had one that's on a national level yet is because we don't have a national market yet, but that's slowly starting to erode away. We are obviously seeing a majority of the states in the United States have some form of legal cannabis use, whether it's medical adult use or both. And, you know, we're going to start seeing, I think, you know, movement towards, you know, maybe interstate compacts um, or some type of traction in the next couple of years that will really open this up as a national market. So we're really playing to where the puck's going. And um, in the process of developing this business and business plan with Kim, who ran World Team Media with me as well, we really kind of deconstructed of what people like at shows and how to really differentiate this because there's a lot of trade shows in the cannabis space, as you know, and we really wanted to make something that was going to be 
productive, purposeful, transactional, um, really help support the industry. And the first thing that we did is we qualify every single attendee that comes into our show that they are a cannabis brand or retail executive with the title of manager or hire. So we're, we're bringing into the room a very exclusive group and it's everybody's a decision maker. So you're not wasting time going to some of the events where, you know, half the people are there, you know, kicking tires or looking for a job. But the people that are in the room are the ones that are making decisions in and around the most important subsegment of the industry, which is the last touch point before we reach the consumer. Right. And it's interesting because MJ Biz has changed a bit over the years. And you, as you said, there is a space. And I've gone, by the way, I've gone to both your events in Vegas last year, was it? Or whenever it was, the well, last time. <laughs> I guess it was last year. Everything blurred. It was October. Yes, it was October, so right. So MJ Biz has become this massive convention that has a lot of manufacturing companies, a lot of sort of ancillary, but there's not so much of a brand presence. Like you said, there's not so much of a CPG presence. And um, it was refreshing then to go over to uh, your event, which had much more of a, of a, if you were, if you're interested in that, which I am, of course, as a journalist and very interested in that story as well. Um, it was nice to see that. Yeah. And listen, supply side shows are always important in industries as well. And, you know, there's a lot of equipment that goes into the production side of the business. It's it's just a different different approach because, I mean, it is MJ Biz and a lot of these shows all launched back in 2014, 15, 16. So they really haven't adopted and adapted to the kind of needs of the market at the moment. And this is where I believe that we're at the kind of the onset of the golden age of the brand, right? This is where we're going to really start seeing, you know, brands establish themselves and start controlling the relationship with the consumer, which hasn't really happened up until this point. It's been mostly with the retailer. Kim, what is your role in all of this? <laughs> I am the chief marketing officer for MJ Pack. So I really think about, okay, what is our branding? What is our messaging? How are we different? And I tried to create messaging that surrounded our event that was unlike what you typically read when you're looking for the next trade show to go to. But going back to brands, we'll have nearly 100 brands from across the country that will be displayed at MJ Impact in New York. And I remember going when we launched in October and I walked into the exhibit hall and I saw these glass display cases full of the brands. We had a vision, but we didn't know how that was really going to look. And I walked in and I was just like, oh my God, this is so exciting uh, just to be able to see all these brands in one place. And that that provides intel not only for the retailer and the investors that are there, but it provides intel for the other brands. They get to see what other brands are doing in other states. And I think that that is very cool. So it made sense for the the event to happen in Vegas, the first, the first MJ Impact, because Everybody was there. It was it was smart um, strategic marketing, right? So everybody was there anyway from the industry. So it was able they were able to go to both events if they qualified. But now you've chosen New York, and I'm curious. It's an interesting decision. You could have chosen really a number of legal states. New York, as we know, is really like in its infancy as far as the marijuana industry goes, at legal uh, marijuana industry goes. So tell us why you chose New York. First of all, when we started the company, um, it, we did it right before the pandemic, right? So we were like super excited that we launched this events company and then Ellison couldn't operate events. But we really saw that, you know, as we were going to emerge out of the pandemic, that we were going to have probably about a three or four month window where everybody was going to try to cram their 2021 event into like September to November timeframe. 
And so, you know, with that, we saw an opportunity to kind of debut our product and de debut this event and, and really kind of highlight the differentiation between us and a lot of the supply side shows in the industry in Las Vegas. But we had to book that, that venue during the pandemic. The, the hotel wasn't even open. When I did finally go to the Mandalay Bay for a site inspection, all the key cards in the meeting room space were dead because the batteries had died on them. And so, you know, it was the same with New York. You know, we really see that our, our kind of goal is to really kind of create a bi-coastal, bi annual show. So we have an event in New York and Las Vegas every year, spring and fall. And really kind of, again, New York's like, the, it's the financial capital of the world. I mean, brands that get established in that New York market are going to probably have a lot of weight that they can carry across the United States. Vegas is, is just such a perfect destination for the cannabis industry on the West Coast to really cater to a lot of the mature markets out on the uh, California, Washington, obviously Nevada, Arizona, Colorado. It's a really easy place to get to from Lyft, availability convention center space, cheap hotel rooms, plenty of entertainment options. Now, I noticed you, you don't, you're not, you didn't mention California and there is an event which is actually happening uh, soon, the Hall of Flowers, which is a similar type of event uh, in terms of just a brand, more of a brand focused um, CPG type event. But it, but it seems to be, from my understanding of Hall of Flowers, it seems to be much more based on the California market. Is that your understanding too? Or are you trying to do more of a uh, national kind of, I mean, there's room for both obviously, but are, are you trying to do? We are more national, Jonathan, you're absolutely right. For example, New York is the most represented state for our delegates for the New York event, but California is second. We do have states or we do have delegates, attendees from every single adult use state. We have them in New York and we had them in Vegas. So I think New York, going back to that, why New York? Part. We were watching legislation for New York very closely, but we also knew that brands are going to want to expand into the East Coast. And we talk about that on our conference program. And that's why we have such a large contingency from the West Coast. They want in on that East Coast action. Yeah, and I think, you know, also going back to Hall Flowers, listen, it's a fantastic show. They've really built a pretty, really, a really strong fan base out there. Um, but that is, like you said, it is a state market event. And this is an event where brands can come and meet with retailers and, and write orders at that event. So what I think is the biggest differentiating point is that we're looking at the need set of the moment, right? And for brands across the country, for them to kind of escape the kind of gravity of their own state market, they need to, they need to partner with other brands in other states. Most of these operators don't have the ability to write another $10 million check to acquire a license and set up a completely independent operation in the other states. Certainly the MSOs do, but for a lot of the most innovative and I think authentic brands that are being created in our market, they need opportunities to be to connect to capital, they need money. They don't have the same access to capital that the MSOs do, and certainly not the same access to capital that normal businesses do. And they need those build those partnerships. So, you know, connecting brands from one state to another state, um, we've seen some great success at our last show. We expect to see some great success at this show. There's only so many licenses that can be issued in New York, but Somebody with a manufacturing license might want to bring on maybe 10 or 15 brands from the West Coast that already have traction, that have a fan base of following, and can really launch into the market much more you know, successfully than trying to create another gummy brand, another pre-roll brand, and another flower brand. They can take the existing intellectual property and bring it into their own state market. So if I attend, if I were to attend the event as a, not as a exhibitor, but as a, um, uh, by the way, is it closed for exhibitors now at this point? If you want to exhibit, is there still room? Today is the last day. Today is the last day. Okay. So by the time this airs, you're too late this time, but go catch them in Vegas and we'll give all the information at the end of the podcast. But as a visitor, what can you expect? Describe the experience. 
it's interesting. The experience is very, it's unlike a traditional trade event where you're walking down aisles of booths and sometimes you turn over your badge because you don't want anyone to know who you are. Uh, or <laughs> Other you people do that? Other people do that? Okay, <laughs> you to know. you're talking on your phone. Because I'm to press, so everybody's like, oh, right about. I'm like, oh, I'm running away. That's right. See, <laughs> you don't have to hide from anyone at MJ Impact. And somebody said to me in Vegas, he said, the best part about coming here was I got to meet someone else who does my job. So you're really, we are creating an environment that you're working, it's, it's high level and you're meeting with only your peers. So you have deeper and more connected conversations. We have soft seating throughout the event. So there's areas for you to sit down, to take a break. You don't have to go to like the lobby of a convention center and it's cold and you're trying to find a seat. Um, none of that happens. We have a bar. I think it opens at what? 10 a.m., George? Uh, unfortunately, well, 10 a.m. was Vegas, which nobody's going to judge you in. But in New York, the, the law <laughs> does state that we can't open up the bar in the lounge until noon. So, oh, all right. Noon. What? So in our lobby, we have live music. We have a bar. We have soft seating. So again, it's it's this idea that you can really connect and have conversations with people that are outside of your state that you can expand, expand your network. Yeah, and that's, that was kind of really, I mean, you know, part of what we spent time, especially during the pandemic of thinking through how do you create success at an event? And like, what do people not like? And people, you know, walking down these kind of Home Depot type shows that you're trying to find stuff and it just all seems to kind of blend together, but we ultimately do business with people and having the opportunity to sit down and kind of grab that quiet corner and have a conversation to understand needs and opportunities is really what's going to drive that transaction, that partnership, that success. And when we did this in Vegas and kind of the model around this was thinking about like going to a nice business hotel where there's a bar there, there's a lot of soft seating, you can grab a drink, you can grab a corner, you can have a conversation, maybe there's some music playing in there. And just kind of having this kind of stately kind of experience, but designing that throughout the entire event. We had some really cool stuff in Vegas. Um, we had like a 30-foot foosball table. People were just having a riot playing right. that. That was cool. I remember that. I took a picture of that. Then you have different colored like food, like tables with like orange and one table was orange and one was red. Or That's what I also remember. Yeah. Yep. The snack uh, breaks. I think the orange table with the Cheetos might have been the most popular. Yeah, but that's interesting. That's just- it was yeah. Cheetos and orange M&Ms. And yeah, it was good. <laughs> like we had the gong on the show floor. People love that as well. Um, my staff thought I was nuts when I told them we were going to do this and basically had a gong. So when you got a deal done, you could bang the gong because we didn't have these traditional, we had traditional exhibit spaces, but most of the brands were in these showcases. So the idea is that they're walking around, they're kind of networking with other people. They're seating in the exhibit hall area for them to, to have a meeting. But when they get a deal done, they bang the gong. And when any, anybody banged the gong, like the rest of the exhibit hall would like cheer like it was like a bullfight. It was fantastic. <laughs> so there's that chance to network. Are there going to be like a conference? Is there going to be like any kind of panels or talk about that stuff? We have about nine conference sessions. They are all panels. And each session topic is a pain point for a brand or a retailer. So we really want to make sure that we have high level content. And the speakers are all operators. So again, no one's selling from stage. There's no ancillary company telling you how great their app is, which there's a place for that, but not at our conference. What are some of the topics, the pain point topics? We have a building your brand through licensing is certainly one of them. We have how do brands and retailers translate coast to coast, right? Because you've got geographical different cultures and needs. So if you're looking to expand, how do you do that? We have, what else do we have? We have legacy, talking about legacy, the legal, creating an authentic brand from an unregulated market. We also have pot bullying. Uh, <laughs> 
which George came up with that name and it's certainly catchy, but that's really about how independent retailers can compete with these large MSOs in new markets. Let's talk about that because I looked a little bit, I think I saw a little bit of some of the participants and, you know, there are a lot of MSOs in going to be in the New York market just by that's the nature of of the business right now. What percentage in, in your event is it going to be MSOs versus kind of like the small independent single state operator? And is it, it's not really, it might just be the nature of the market in New York, right? But talk to, up to me a little bit about that. Our target market is the independent retailer that has between two and 10 stores. And I would say that probably 90% of our retailers are going to be independent retailers. And then of course you do have the MSOs. But we really, that's who we want to speak to. That's who we want to speak with. And that's who we want to serve. And I think that that's, you know, fundamental to our ethos is that, you know, I mean, we know that at some point, I don't see the MSOs as any type of evil empire by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's a natural function of our industry, you know, but at some point we're going to see federal legalization. And we know that big alcohol, tobacco, probably pharma and some other CPG industries are going to come storming in with huge amounts of cash, tremendous operational efficiencies. And anybody that's operating a business in the space knows how difficult it is. We refer to it as a tsunami and we don't want to see these, you know, these operators that have given, you know, blood, sweat and tears to build a brand, build a retail store, get washed out to sea. Just because somebody can come in and, and squeeze them out of the market because of their, their sheer financial prowess, right? So, you know, really supporting the independent business operator. I've, I've always believed and, and hoped that we do create an industry that has millions of millionaires, not just a handful of billionaires. And really, you know, support that independent business person to operate successfully in a market that knows their customers, that understands the brands and what the customers are looking for. And isn't just another big box cookie cutter store, you know, kind of stamped all over the, the every strip mall in town, right? So, you know, that's our hope. But I mean, you know, for the, the MSOs too, I mean, you know, some of these independent operators do want to raise their hand and say, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I want out. And, you know, one of the executives from Cresco Labs was at our show and said that this was the most amazing target-rich environment that he's ever been in. To see what's happening for brands that are innovating for them to explore acquisition opportunities. One of the things you guys did that I really liked at the Las Vegas show, and I'm wondering if you're going to do it in New York, is that you would have these little, like, if, if people couldn't necessarily afford to have a booth, you had these kind of like, I don't know, they were like stands that had like all, a lot of different brands on them. And I gravitated toward this as a journalist because it was an, it was the place where I could talk to entrepreneurs that I'm interested in. You know, we're obviously green entrepreneur. We're talking to entrepreneurs and people like you're talking about who maybe have a presence in one state or, you know, are just kind of starting their business. So like I met a few uh, really interesting women from Detroit that uh, were starting a business. I think you probably know who I'm talking about. I can't even remember. And they've been on the podcast. And it was just, it was a, it was a great opportunity to meet those entrepreneurs that might not have the budget to like afford a big fancy booth, but could still, you could still connect with them. This goes back to meeting the needs of the moment uh, of the market at the moment, right? And so for these brands that are struggling, that are, are choking on the lack of banking access and 280 codes, a lot of these trade shows out there, it costs anywhere from 5,000 to maybe $7,000 for a, a 10 by 10 booth. Like we're not in the business of selling real estate. We're in the business of creating opportunity. We're in the business of creating hospitality and experience and, and a return on investment and objectives, right? So when we designed the show floor, we realized like they're not going to be able to afford a $5,000 booth and then spend another five to $10,000 building, shipping, designing, storing it and everything else. It's just a terrible investment for them to make. 
And that's why they don't exhibit at these, these national shows right now. So we want to come up with a very cost-effective turnkey solution and, and really understand where their pain points are. Like they don't have somebody on staff that knows how to necessarily do exhibit design. So they get these brand showcases that we call them. Um, they're seven-foot carrier case. But the great part about this, though, Jonathan, is that they get to control their visual merchandising, right? And you saw how innovative some of these people were to be able to really showcase the brand the way that they want their story to be told visually in the, in the retail. It's almost like walking into a store in the way they're displayed. And then the benefit is that you walk into our show and it feels like you're at a retail store where you can go shopping and you can explore these brands. Yeah, I thought that was a really great innovation. I haven't seen that at any of the other shows and it, and it was a great opportunity. Let's talk about some somewhat, I don't know if they're controversial, but it just I just want to ask. First of all, because you're a president of MJ Biz, I'm wondering how they feel about you branching off and doing your own thing here and, and kind of maybe cutting into their business. Like, is that, are you cool? Are they cool with it? Do they see room for both of you guys? Probably not. I'm sure my face has graced a few dartboards in their office. Um, but, you know, it, listen, I... I had an executive divorce with them back in 2017 over some contract issues that the owners and I did not get resolved internally. So we we resolved them legally. And it's unfortunate, but at the same point, like I think that this is why we're on this path. Like I believe that there is a better way to run a trade show that can actually support the industry. Like you said, we're not in the business of just selling another booth and another ticket. We want to create meaningful connections that actually help the industry create a return on investment and objectives and actually help their business to succeed. If we do that really Really well, then we get to have a successful business. It's not the other way around. We we're not we're not going to sit there and say it's our sandbox and you can't play in it unless you play by our rules. We're going to continue to evolve the show to meet the needs of the market at the moment, and that will continue to change. But this is the end game. This is the end game of a brand or retail show, and you know I don't think it'll be quite as big as the Natural Products Expo or the Fancy Food Show or the Bar Nightclub Show, but it'll certainly have a very similar feel and feeling to it that a show like that would have. Right. Do you have some concerns that when you guys become very successful that MJBs will try to kind of replicate what you're doing? People already are. They're, um, they're copy, they copy Kim's marketing copy all the time. Um, <laughs> all the yeah. time. Drives me nuts. So what do you what do you do? How do you how do you protect yourself against that? I guess you just have to keep being a step ahead. I have to change. Three steps um, ahead. I know Missouri, <laughs> Mocan, who were members of Mocan, Mocan all of a sudden, right after our event, was like, we're gonna do a brand showcase event. (laughs) Okay. We still have a large contingency from Missouri, so I'm okay with it, but people do. And, and we constantly have to change our messaging. we have to stay one step ahead, but also we're going in this sort of plays on George's point. We're trying to build relationships, right? We're not trying to just have a transaction with our exhibitors. So when we build relationships with those brands, I hope that we're also building loyalty. And we, we take the time to understand their objectives. But but Jonathan, we're also going to continue to just innovate. Um, you know, one of people I was talking to says, when I explained the show, says it sounds like it's a cross between a trade show and a rock concert. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a cool way to describe it. Like in, in, in New York, um, you know, we've got some activations, you know, New York's a little bit Tight. We do have our MJ Unpacked Benefit event. We did that in Las Vegas with the Blues Brothers and raised over seventy thousand dollars for Last Prisoner Project. We got you know legendary you know slide guitarist and blues man Roy Rogers opening up for Hemper Sativa, which is an amazing Jamaican reggae band, which is opening up for Ghostface Killer over at Terminal Five. It's a BYOC. I'm man. a huge Wu Tang fan, so when I heard the Ghostface Killer thing, I was like, oh my god, that would have been incredible. Uh, why does my daughter have to Sorry, have a school play? It. Yeah. Um, <laughs> On, on, we'll play Ghostface. Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? 
<laughs> no, it's it, that sounds incredible. I had got an email from MJ Impact recently saying that somebody that there was some fraud going on. People, do you want to warn people who might be listening to this about this fraud that it seems to be happening? Well, it means that we made it. Yeah, yeah. Whenever anybody tries to rip you off or <laughs> there's groups that are just out there that do this. They say they have our attendee list. They don't. They're trying to sell it. They're going to say, you know, I've had seen groups come in where they call up exhibitors and say, if you don't book your hotel room, you're going to, your space is going to get canceled. So they give them a credit card and book their hotel rooms and never see that money again. It's an unfortunate side effect of, of being successful and getting, you know, attention on people's radar, but we're pretty transparent and we do actually, you know, that's always a big thing. I, I don't think any trade show typically will release their attendee list or at least contact details for it. The same groups did this to me when I was running MJ BizCon as well. So it's not, not new, but we really wanted to kind of, again, like really set the pace, right. And kind of stay a couple steps ahead of everybody. So we have an event app right now that once you register for the event and you're given access, you can go and look at the exhibitors, boost profiles, download product information. Uh, after the show, you can go back into the app and listen to sessions if you miss them, but you can also on, you can also schedule appointments with any of the exhibitors, and then you can direct message with any of the other attendees at the show. Attendees can't opt out of it, but we feel that, you know, creating that level of connectivity where you can scroll through and see who's who from which companies are going to be there and, and send them a message that you'd like to meet with them. If we can help facilitate that, it's more important to us than, you know, somebody, you know, trying to pirate, mislead people that they have our attendee data. Talk to me lastly about working as a married couple. And not only are a married couple uh, working together on a company, but you also live on a small island. <laughs> remote island. There's no escape. So this is very impressive. How long have you been married? 16 years. We've been together. Congratulations. That's great. How does the successful married couple and successful business, how do you, how do you make it work? So you aren't just completely yelling at each other every, well, I mean, maybe you still are, but how do you make it work? I mean, it must be challenging and, but also maybe there's benefits to it. I think there's great benefits to it. I trust him implicitly. He trusts me implicitly and we work on different things, right? So we don't get in each other's way. My weaknesses are his strengths, most certainly. Don't ask me to do math. And his weaknesses are my strengths. So we stay out of each other's way. I am in the higher office in the house. You've got the penthouse <laughs> office. I'm in the, I, I, I'm on the first floor level. He's on the first floor level, yeah. Got an executive bathroom. I mean, like, it's just not fair. Yes. I guess that's a good compromise and also important. Let the wife have the penthouse office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we ran, we ran world team media together and listen, there's, it's not, it's not for everybody. It's not necessarily always easy. Um, you know, and I think Kim and I just, you know, we're able to, you know, put, compartmentalize things. I mean, you know, there's times where at the end of the day, I want to talk to her as my wife or she is my husband and you've got to, got to recognize when you need to take off the work hat. And, you know, we just kind of leave it at the, leave it at the office, so to speak. So when we're sitting at the dinner table and we're hanging out at night, it's about our family. It's about our future. And um, I think, you know, it's just, it's like I said, it's not for everybody. When I started World Team Media in 2002, there was a married couple I gave some sweat equity to, and they realized they couldn't stand each other by working together and going home together and got a divorce. Unfortunately, that created an opportunity that they both wanted me to get rid of each other, the other one, and I got rid of them both and brought Kim on. But she ran that business for almost the entirety of its lifespan. It's, I think, just celebrated its 20th anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. All right. So if people want to find out about MJ Impact, if they want to make sure they're on the mailing list to you know, find out about future events, this event in New York. First of all, this event in New York is happening on May 18th. 18th. Well, it's really May 19th and 20th. 
the 18th is exhibitor set up. And then we have a big mixer that night to sort of start the conference. And people can still buy tickets. People can buy tickets. We highly suggest that you not just show up without being pre-registered because access to the third floor of the Midtown Hilton, which is where the event will be, uh, you can't even access the third floor without a badge or an email confirmation. So we highly suggest everyone pre-register. And to find out, it's mjunpack.com. Perfect. Yep. And we can follow you on social and... Oh, yes. You can follow us on social. We just hired the... Well, we're working with the Flower Agency to help us with our social and they're doing a great job. Uh, so yes, you can find us on all the social channels via MJ Unpack, and you can join our mailing list. And our next event after New York will be September 28th through the 30th in New in Vegas at the MGM Grand. That, that will be a three-day event where the first day will be a conference program and then the second two days. Um, and Jonathan, we also have MJ Brand Insights, which is our content platform, um, typically uh, just something that we... We have some unbelievable editorial staff over there that just does a great job really covering some important topics. We're not trying to be a news desk. We're really, you know, again, looking at opportunities to kind of highlight brands and success stories and share those stories out into the marketplace. And when you come to Vegas, Jonathan, um, just so you know, we'll have a, a mechanical blunt. It actually has horns on it. And you'll be able to ride the mechanical blunt at MJ Unpacked. I think we're going to maybe do like a branded cowboy hat for everybody who rides it gets like a cowboy hat or something. Sold. Okay. You had me at a mechanical blunt. All right. Well, George and Kim, Jage, thank you so much for joining us and good luck with the show. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, head on over to greenentrepreneur.com the latest cannabis and CBD news, thoughtful essays, tips, and insider tricks on how to succeed in the cannabis business, all that good stuff. And hey, if you like this podcast, do me a huge solid and go to wherever you may listen to your podcast and please rate and review our podcast. It does wonders for the algorithm, helps others find the podcast would so appreciate a review and a rating. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.